Amen. And well, please have a seat and turn with me to. Well, there's going to be several passages that we're covering this morning. Um, I'm going to have some introduction into this, and it is going to be about the Lord's Supper. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12, we're going to find our place there here in a moment. And then also turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Primarily it's between those passages of scriptures where we're going to be going back and forth between. So I'll give you a chance to turn there. I think that what has already become apparent to you is that today we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. This is an observance in our church identified or intended for those who profess a faith in their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's also a time of worship. We've done that through music. We continue to do that through the study of his word. It's a time of reflection. We've sang some songs that really focus in on remembering and the reflection upon what Christ did for, for us. I also see it as a time of nearness, nearness to God, but also nearness to each other, those who are in the body of Christ. And then there is that time of conviction, that song that we just sing, Judge of the Secrets of the hearts of men, that he would just shine his light into our hearts, that he would reveal to us things that we need to confess before him. And that's one of the reasons I try to give you an advance notice of when we're going to share the Lord's Supper together, because I think the entire week, if we can, should be kind of dedicated to centering our minds on what we're going to be doing today. Uh, as we go into the scriptures more together this morning, my prayer is that we grow closer to our Lord by remembering him and his sacrifice on the cross and the moments leading up to his atoning work. And I would also encourage every one of us to look at the Lord's Supper as a time of unity, like a unifying experience with each other because we share in this together as those who are part of the family of God through a shared faith in Jesus Christ. And we know that the Lord's Supper is something that the early church took part of in often. And in Acts 2.42, which I think was one of the scriptures that Stephen brought up to the children last week, there it says one, the simplicity of the early church, this is what they did together, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's Acts 2.42, something very simplistic, that sort of made up the early church and their practices, and this is what they did, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the teaching of God's word, and the fellowship, the coming together as the church body, worshiping and glorifying God together in their coming together, and then to the breaking of bread. There is the taking part in the Lord's Supper, and then also the prayers. So the, the four key things there that was part of their fellowship um, it was a continual practice as part of their, their unity and their faith in Christ. And just about anything, though, that God has set apart as holy to be celebrated in somberness and with gratitude, there can always be that fleshly corruption uh, that can sometimes creep in. And we see this going on in the early church in Corinth. And so I want us to look just a little bit uh, back there at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, because Paul would admonish them strongly in the way that they had begun observing the Lord's Supper. They were observing it in an incorrect way, an unbiblical way. They were looking more out for themselves and not coming together for the reasons that they should have been. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 
verses 17 through 22, Paul writes this as an admonishment to the church for their taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to drink and eat in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Well, what should I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Paul is obviously displeased with what he saw in their fellowship. They were making it more about food and they were making it more about drinking and feeding of the flesh in a sense. And they weren't making really about each other and letting another person go ahead of them and showing that love and that unity that we should in in the church. But more importantly, they were not honoring and worshiping the Lord in this. And so we want to take that admonishment seriously because it was directed to the church in Corinth, but is also God's word to us as well, that we would not want to fall into these habits that some in the early church were doing. After the rebuke, though, Paul then reminds them of why they are coming together in the first place, and the whole purpose of their fellowship was to be centered around Jesus Christ and what he did for them. Continuing on in that same passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul is not doing some recreation of the moment where Jesus uh, celebrated this for the first time with his disciples because Paul recognized he couldn't step in and take Jesus' place in that. None of us can. Only Jesus rightfully took the place to say that this is me. Paul could not do that, but he is directing them in where their focus should be. He is pointing them to Jesus and the importance of putting all the emphasis and the focus on him, and that is in the remembering him and the moments leading up to his crucifixion, its purpose and its significance and its meaning. And that is what I want for us to focus on today before we take this together. It's not a recreation that you know I'm or someone is standing in the place of Jesus. We don't do that, although there are certain denominations that would teach that, that would teach some transubstantiation, that what we're about to take is, is really Christ's blood, is really Christ's body, that would be taking the emphasis off of Jesus and remembering him. This is a time of remembering, and that's what we want to uh, consider this morning as before we take of the Lord's Supper. There is simplicity in the Lord's Supper, There are only two elements that we take of, but since remembering is the basis of what we do, um, we are going to take a journey back 
And back before the cross of Calvary, back before Jesus walked this earth, and we're going to try to see this from the perspective of the Jewish disciples that were gathered in the upper room with Jesus when he institutes his Lord's Supper for the first time. What they thought they were doing in those moments where they were gathered together with Jesus. What was it they were celebrating and its significance and how Christ brought it all together in himself. So now go to book of Mark with me. Mark chapter 14. We have a pretty lengthy passage that I'm going to read. And I'm going to begin in verse 12 and read through verse 25. Mark chapter 14. Beginning in verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you go, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating with Jesus, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it, and he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What what I'd like for us to do is now take a look back in the Old Testament and be reminded what these Jewish men that were gathered with Jesus in the upper room would have had in mind as they took part in this important Jewish celebration that they called the Passover. We read it several times there in Mark. That's why I wanted to begin in verse 12 because we see Jesus directing them um, to go and what? Prepare for you to eat the Passover. In the end of verse 14, it says, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And then again in verse 16, and they prepared the Passover. This was at the center of everything that they were doing in this moment. This is what they were celebrating. This was the space that their minds were in at this moment, the celebration of the Passover. And none of them, though, were prepared for what Jesus was about to do in the moments ahead. And later in the evening when they were together at the table, Jesus takes the bread and he takes the cup and he says, this is my body. This is my blood of the covenant. When describing the Passover bread and wine, 
And why did these elements have such significance and meaning? And it was in there looking back and remembering those things that Jesus interrupts the meal and then he brings it all into the present moment when he says, this is. He's saying, this is me. And to really get a better understanding of this, we have to go back to the time of the exodus of Israel from Egypt, a time 1,300 years before this moment where God delivered his people from their physical exile in the land of Egypt. So there in Exodus chapter 12, hopefully you've already marked that. We're going to read again a pretty long passage of scripture, so uh, bear with me, but let me first give a a little bit of a preface to get us into this passage, because at the time Israel had been in captivity as slaves for almost 400 years now, and they've cried out to God, and God has heard their cries. And in response to the pleadings of his people, God raises up a man named Moses. Moses is seen often in scripture as a Christ type or a mediator of sorts. And so Moses comes before Pharaoh, who is the leader of Egypt, and he requests the release of God's people from captivity. And you probably all know the event and how it unfolds, but Pharaoh refuses Um, And that sets in motion a series of plagues that are brought by God through Moses to the land and to the people of Egypt. And Moses confronts Pharaoh, continually asking him to release his people, and Pharaoh hardens his heart, and on it goes through multiple plagues until the final one, until the last plague that ultimately brings Israel's freedom And thus begins the reason for the Passover celebration. And this is the time period that every Jew would have in mind as they remembered the moment where God gave them deliverance from their captivity. In fact, Orthodox Jews today, when they celebrate the Passover, this is what they were looking back to, something the Lord had put into place as a command that was to be done in perpetuity. And so God gives some very specific instructions that they were to follow as the gears go by so they remember and not forget what God has done. And all the details are important, but probably the most significant part of the Passover observance was the Passover lamb. And that's going to be more of the emphasis than anything, but we're going to follow the movements of the Jewish celebration of the Passover and, and hit on the high ones All the details, as I mentioned, they're very important to us. So let's read over these detailed instructions that God gives them. And so if you will, follow along as I read it, uh, beginning at the very start of chapter 12. Let me turn back a page here. Now Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you, It is to be the first month of the year for you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to apportion the lamb. Your lamb shall be a male without blemish, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall, shall slaughter it at twilight. 
Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they will eat. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Passover of Yahweh. And I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And I will see the blood and I will pass over. And there shall be no plague among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now this day will be a memorial to you. And you shall celebrate it as a feast to Yahweh. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a perpetual statute. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Now on the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No work at all shall be done on them, except what must be eaten by every person that alone may be done by you. You shall also keep the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall keep this day throughout your generations as a perpetual statute. And I'll stop right there. Um, What we're going to look at more as a significant point to this passage is the Passover lamb. But you can see there are very specific instructions that the people of Israel are to follow in their acknowledgement of what God had done for them. And they called the celebration, as commanded by the Lord, the Passover. Remember, the first command to them was to kill a lamb. That's what verse 5 says. And it also says that this lamb was to be without blemish. It was to be a perfect lamb that would be set aside specifically for the sacrifice. And then after the lamb was killed, they were to take the blood and they were to place it on the lintel, which the lintel was the very top piece of the door frame, and then also on the door post, which were each side of the door post, so that as you walked in, the blood would be above you and on both sides of you as well. So that was another instruction that they were to do with the blood of the lamb. And this was to be their protection. This is what God was doing with the blood of the lamb. And in place of the firstborn being killed because that was the plague that was coming to Egypt, there wouldn't be a a firstborn that would be spared among the land unless they had the covering of this blood on the doorposts and on the lintel. If they had that blood, then everyone inside was going to be protected within the house because of the blood of this spotless, blemishless lamb. Verse 13 is where we see God passes over them, right? And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and I will see the blood. And because of that blood, he says, I will pass over you 
and there shall be no plague among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God passes over them because of the lamb's shed blood between them and him. And God is providing a way for them to escape the judgment he is bringing upon the households of Egypt. So what God did in that moment was so important that a celebration was supposed to remain in place so that the people would never forget. That they were continually reminded of what God had done for them to deliver them. In verse 14 of Exodus 12, this shall be a day for you, a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Come back with me now to the upper room again in Mark chapter 14. Now that this passage from Exodus is fresh to us, know this is the somber space that their minds were in as they were beginning to prepare to take this together. And Jesus is now sitting there with them and he stops and he takes the bread and he says, this is my body. And then he then takes the cup and he says, this is my blood of the covenant. And 13 years or 1300 years has now culminated here in this moment and it's all in Jesus. God's perfect spotless lamb about to be delivered up for the sins of his people and put to death on the cross, pouring out his blood as the atonement for our sin, to be the covering that was needed for our escape from that judgment, to be hidden in Christ as we've been looking at in Colossians chapter three. This is no longer now a picture of the Passover of the past, but rather now Jesus is the Passover. And that's something to celebrate, and that's what we're here to do today. All these things they were remembering in Passover is now found in Christ, who is the perfect fulfillment of all these instructions that God had given them. Everything that Christ did for us is foreshadowed in this. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be new as a lump, a new lump, as you really are unleavened for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. What the Passover is, Jesus is. And fulfillment was in the upper room with the disciples in that moment as Jesus was saying, this is, this is my body, this is my blood, the Passover is me. John the Baptist would declare this about Jesus in chapter one, verse 29 of John. He says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Lamb that God would provide. And John, who was sent as the herald for Jesus to proclaim the Savior come into the world, saw Jesus for who he was, the Lamb, and not just any Lamb, but the Lamb of God that had come to take away the sins of the world. Now, I mentioned earlier there were several more movements to the Passover celebration, and so we're gonna be looking just a little bit more at rather Jewish history than actual instructions from God. We read the instructions from God, but I'm gonna tell you a little bit about what they would do in their celebrations today of the Passover, what they still do, uh, because there were movements that I think are really significant that still point ahead to what we do when we remember. And I want to bring up a couple to try and help us better to understand that there was special importance placed 
on the getting rid of the leaven. You remember reading about that in Exodus chapter 12? We were to purge leaven, get rid of all the leaven. Why was that significant? Why did they have to get rid of it? Well, leaven is an agent that's added to dough to get bread to rise, like when you make it, and that's why a lot of our breads you know, rise up and they have a nice fluffiness to them. And they, they use that back in those times. Um, so why would there be much significance to this? Well, leaven had special meaning when it came to Passover. In one sense, the leaving out of the leaven was to signify their haste in leaving their bondage in Egypt in leaving their captivity behind them. They couldn't wait for that bread to rise, so God told them as a acknowledgement of that that they had to celebrate this feast of the unleavened bread. Or they didn't put yeast in any bread because they just didn't have time to do it, but there was another significant meaning for leaven at that time, and that was the getting rid of all the sin. You know, that is the, the description of leaven that we find in the Bible, we just read it, what uh, Paul had written in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, when he says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. There is a reflection on who we once were, that we were lost in our sin. We were held in captivity by our leaven, the sin in our life, burdened down by the weight of it, lost in it, held captive by it. And Paul directs further in the observance of the Lord's Supper. There, in, we read it in verse eleven or chapter eleven, verse twenty-seven of First Corinthians. He says, "Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup." And it's in that examining part of the Lord before the Lord's Supper that we have that moment that we come into agreement with God about the sins of our heart. He searches the heart he knows, and it's a time where we confess that we are sinful before him. There may be things that we've been holding on to. We can hide from other people, but we can't hide from God. It's that moment of, of his light shining in on us and exposing the sin that we need to confess before him. In first, I'm sorry, I'm already there at that first Corinthians verse, but uh, one of the traditions during this time, this movement of the Passover, about the leaving of the leaven, the way the Jews would teach their children um, this part of the celebration is they would have them go through the house with a flashlight and they would hide leaven in different places in the house and the kids would find the leaven and then they would throw all the leaven away so that they would make sure that they had gotten rid of all the leaven in the house so that there would be none there so they could take part in the celebration rightly. And I think in a sense, that's what we're supposed to do. God, search my heart as only you can and reveal to me, shine your light in and help me to know what it is that I need to confess before you. So I think that's a, a good significant movement that we can find scriptural basis for even in our own taking of the Lord's Supper. And one of the things that Christ does with his disciples just before they start the feast is that Jesus in his submission to the Father, he assumes the role of a servant and he washes the disciples' feet. And there is in that the symbology of the washing off of sin that needs to take place. And John chapter 13 is where we find this. This is where Peter questions his Lord about this gesture. You know, why are you doing this? But in John 13, beginning in verse 6, 
Jesus had approached Simon Peter, and Mark doesn't have this account, but we can put the Gospels together and know that John 13 described what was going on right before they did take the Lord's Supper, and this is what Jesus was doing. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. The scripture is, is clear that we need forgiveness for our sins because there is judgment that is coming for our sin. And part of remembering is reflecting on the judgment of that sin. And that is yet another movement of the Passover celebration. For men in the upper room with Jesus, it was remembering their enslavement to Egypt and what brought them there in the first place, why they were there in, in exile and in captivity. And we're reading a lot about that in Ezekiel um, for, for the men's Bible study on Wednesday nights. They were in a predicament because of their sin and rebellion towards God, and God was judging that sin as God rightfully does and has the right to do. And for us, it is to remember our rebellion Slaves, in a sense, to our wickedness. Bad news is the wages of that sin is death. And since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we are in trouble. We need someone to save us. In Exodus 12, as the destroyer was sent through Egypt to kill the firstborn, it demonstrates God's judgment and his punishment of death. God is going to judge sin, all of it. And he is a righteous judge, and he must. And we have a sin disease And we don't want to enter into eternity without the cure. And there are some horrendous lies out there that are permeating our world today. Supposed cures for our sin problem. As long as you are good, that you have a moral life, that you attend church regularly, that you live in America, that you come from a good Christian family, or that you have the the right political leaning, that these things are what saves you. It's not. Absolutely not. None of these things are going to save you. Only God could deliver his people out of captivity, and that is true of our sin today. In Acts 4.12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Remembering the bad news of our captivity to sin makes the good news of our deliverance all the better, and that's what we celebrate in this. There was still another movement in the Passover celebration, and that was called the redemption. The redemption, the celebration of Yeshua. The Jews trusted that God would fulfill his promise to send the Messiah who would be their ultimate deliverer, and that would usher in this new covenant relationship with God where God would then write his laws of his heart, of the hearts of his people, where a great high priest would take his rightful throne and do away with all the ceremonial practices of the law because he would satisfy their sin debt in full. Where a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who we know to be the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father. He looked ahead, and this was symbolized in the drinking of the wine. Jesus would say of himself, this is the blood of the covenant. 
In verse 23 of Mark 14, he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. In fact, some translations insert the word new in front of covenant. Paul writes new covenant in that passage from 1 Corinthians 11, talking about this new covenant relationship that we now have brought in because of the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Part of the Passover celebration was looking forward to the establishment of this promise, and Jesus is pointing to himself as the one who has fulfilled this. It was his blood. He is their redemption. And he gave thanks to his father ahead of this statement because it was God who provided it. God provides the sacrifice for us. In Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So, so foundational to everything we are as Christians, a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Take a look at Hebrews 9 with me, verses 11 through 15. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy places once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? His blood is everything. It is entirely of him. It is the basis for our eternity. Jesus came in the flesh to be our Passover lamb. He bore our sins to the cross. He poured out his blood. He took the full-on wrath of his Father, God, upon his body. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God looked upon his Son and rendered the only punishment our righteous God could deal out, and that was death. That is what it took for our redemption. And one day, we will all stand before God in judgment. Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? To have put your faith in Jesus Christ and repented of your sin is to have his blood on the doorpost and on the lintel of your life so that God sees his perfect son and not you. Would you rather stand on your own and wait to see what happens? You know, hoping that maybe some work you have done has earned you a place in heaven. I would instruct you not to do the latter. (laughs) Plead for the mercy of God through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ before it is too late. Confess your sin before him and repent 
And when we do, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the final movement of the Passover celebration was the movement of consummation or fulfillment. And for those celebrating this before the cross in the Old Testament, it involved a gazing ahead and anticipating the arrival of their Messiah. And for those of us on this side of the cross, it recognized, recognized it has all been fulfilled in Christ. When he said it is finished on the cross, that Greek word tetelestai, that debt is paid in full, it is final and it is done. It has all been consummated and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But part of us, it for us involves a gazing ahead and that is looking forward to the kingdom of God and eternity with Jesus Christ because this is our promise for those that are in him. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 25 of Mark 14 that there is coming that day when I will drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. And if you know Jesus as your savior, the kingdom of God is in a sense realized in you by all that he has done, by his death and resurrection. But he will also drink it new with us in his kingdom. In Revelation 19.9 it says, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. If you know Jesus right now, then heaven for you is not an if, but it's a win. It's a W-I-N win, and it's a W-H-E-N win. When we drink it new with him, and it is all because of Jesus. Something that I think is sobering here in the book of Mark, and come back here and have a placeholder, and that is uh, what Jesus says about his taking of this with the disciples. And what he says of his blood, he said of his blood that this is poured out for many. And what this recognizes is that this is not true for everybody. You know that Jesus' statement that his blood of the covenant shed for many realizes that not all will come to know him. In the Gospel of John, the first chapter, it says he came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Many will come to know him as their Savior and Lord, but there will be those who don't. And Jesus recognized there would be out, those outside of the many, that this wasn't for them. Now, that's the call of our great commission, to go out to them and to share the gospel with them. Key to all of this is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And this isn't a sideline issue. The only one who can save you is Jesus. He is your Passover lamb. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. All those I am statements that he makes of himself, that is who he is. And all who believe in him will not be put to shame. He will forgive you of all your sins and bring you into a relationship of peace with God the Father. Will you trust in him today? Will you call on his name and ask for his mercy and forgiveness? I hope this is true for all of us, that we have already pled for the mercy of Jesus Christ, that we have received him as our Savior and Lord. But if you have not put your faith in him as your Savior, then this time of communion, as Ray mentioned earlier, I was gonna bring this up, then communion isn't for you. This is to be celebrated by those who are in Christ. And I don't intend to be harsh 
or rude or want to call, out, call you out as embarrassment. I just want us to heed the warnings that Scripture has for us about this. And Stephen had brought this up in his message about the Lord's Supper observance with the children last week when Paul warns of the taking of the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner. Everyone ought to examine himself before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, and eat, they eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so we want to approach this reverently, we want to approach this biblically, but what it would be for you who may not know Christ as your Savior that you would know him today and celebrate with us. And we're going to take some time now, um, going to pray. Stephen's going to come up here and lead us in a song. Ray and Barry, would you all come up here at this moment as we get ready to pass out the elements for the Lord's Supper? The bread and the cup are going to come around after that, and at that time, if you want to participate this morning, we ask that you each take hold of it and keep, keep it there. Don't drink it or, or eat the bread yet, because we're going to take of it together um, after we say a prayer and then acknowledge what God has done for us in Christ. And then, we're going to read some more scripture, and we're going to sing a final song, and then have fellowship with one another. But we don't want to jump ahead too quickly to that fellowship, right? All right. This is a fellowship too. All right, let's pray. Father God, we just come to you, Lord. We thank you for your word to us and the very clear instruction that you give us and how we have to observe this. And God, it does have a lot of simplicity built into it. You knew that we are feeble-minded, that we don't always grasp everything as we should, but we have two elements here that we're going to take up together and I ask that you would just put it upon our hearts to remember these things and to reflect upon it. Specifically, God, what it costs you uh, to redeem us and bring us back to you into a peace relationship with you that it took the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, crucified on the cross to be the atonement for our sins and the rightful judgment that we deserved he took upon himself so that we might be declared righteous in him. God, I pray that we not get so caught up in the dwelling on each and every movement of this that I've described, but we just come back to the essence of what this means for us, that Christ now is our Passover. And for those of us who might be here, Lord, that don't have a relationship with you, that maybe in some way you have moved in their heart and you have stirred them, God, by your spirit and you are drawing their heart to you. And I pray that today in this moment would be the time where they come before you and they confess you as their Lord and Savior. They receive you. They repent of their sin, God. And they acknowledge all that you have done for them, that you would save them and they would participate in this moment with us, Lord. We pray that that would be real in them, God, and it would be genuine, and I pray that this also would be a genuine expression of our love for you and our worship of you, God, today. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In verse 22 of Mark 14 that we just read, we see how Jesus instituted this for the first time with his disciples. He said they were eating, and then he took some bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. So we're going to do it in a like manner. So I've asked Barry if he would say a prayer before we take the bread together, and then we'll, we'll take of it together. So Barry, would you pray?
Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, the covenant, which is poured out for many. And Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks. So we are going to do so as well. Ray, would you do that for us, please? This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So afterwards, they departed the upper room, and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And before they did that, they sang a song together to mark the end of the Passover celebration. So we're going to sing one final song, and then... We'll have a prayer and bless the meal, and we'll have fellowship together here in a moment and uh, share in a meal. So, Stephen, would you lead us one last song?